Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Well, welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Paul F. Austin, the founder and CEO of Third Wave, joins the show. We talk about how psychedelics can be used for growth, the five elements of consciously using psychedelics and how to coach and the elements of coaching folks through their psychedelic journeys and why they might support us in changing the world. For more info on what Paul's doing, head on over to thethirdwave.co. It's all spelt out. I've dropped it in the podcast notes if you're interested in that. We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders that turn their teams into happy high performers who crush their goals. So if you're interested in leadership development, one-on-one leadership, mindset coaching, conflict management, emotional intelligence, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for all those needs. And if you have a bad boss and you want to know how to deal with them more effectively, head on over to howtodealboss.com. I have a free ebook that I'm giving out to all of you, as well as I'm giving you a $50 coupon off the How to Deal with an Asshole Boss program with the promo code HTD50. Hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a rating and review. Thank you so much for listening. I really enjoyed this discussion. And here it is, the interview with Paul F. Austin. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski, and I'm flying solo today, but we have a special guest with us. Susan's actually on holidays up at her cottage, so hopefully she's getting some good rest. And so with that, our special guest, Paul Austin's with us, the founder and CEO at Third Wave. Paul, how are you? Rob, I am pretty good coming to you from North County, San Diego, uh, in, in my backyard. We got a little stream that, that runs through it. Beautiful fruit trees. Um, I feel like I'm in paradise, so, uh, couldn't be better. San Diego, actually, you don't know this and I'm not sure how many folks know this, but San Diego used to be on my list of places I wanted to live because, it's got the beach, it's got incredible Mexican food, and there's a big water polo community, which I'm super into, plus the weather, I mean, 85 and sunny, like 300 days a year or so. Um, but now I'm here in Costa Rica, so it, things have changed a little bit. <laughs> well, and I'm glad you brought that up. I've lived many places. I've lived abroad in places like Turkey and Thailand and Mexico and Portugal, and I've also lived in New York City, Miami, the Bay Area. And I loved a lot of the places that I live, but I really, really love San Diego. It's not only the weather and um, the ocean, surfing, there's mountains close by, but the people, you know, there's a lot of like really great people here, conscious, wellness, um, you know, even the work that I've been doing in the psychedelic space, this is really right for it. And it, it, it's not the same level of intensity as LA but you get most of the same upside. So I, uh, I'm a big fan. Amazing. So we always start off the show with a quote. And so I got one here from Eckhart Tolle, who 
I've just started listening to his book, The Power of Now. Shout out to Sonny Strasberg for recommending it. And he says, it is not uncommon for people to spend their whole life waiting to start living. Paul, what do you think? Some, yes. And just to bring this back into the topic for today, one thing I've seen again and again with intentional psychedelic use is it often brings people into that recognition and awareness that life is precious, that life is a miracle, that we really only get one chance or opportunity in this specific form. And what I've noticed is when someone works with psychedelics in an intentional way, it really provides a level of courage for them to be relentless about pursuing life and living life and bringing vitality into life. And that's been my biggest lesson and teacher in working with these, these substances. I first started you know, on the path when I was 19 years old. So I'm 32 now. So for 13 years, I've been working with psychedelics intentionally. And that's a constant reminder in ceremony, in intentional work is now is the time. There's no need to wait. And what a beautiful opportunity for us to create. Uh, and psychedelics are, are phenomenal allies in that, in that process. I love it. And of course, I, yeah, of course I picked the pod or the quote for that. And I totally agree. I mean, it was part of my journey to actually move down here and then ultimately to pivot out of engineering and to go on this kind of different career path and life path. Um, it was really, again, that intentional psychedelic use, which I was quasi forced into, I would say. Um, but it, it worked out better than I could have imagined. Can you share a little bit more about that when you say quasi force? What was the, yeah. the like context around that? Totally. So, yeah. So I was suffering with depression. Uh, mm. Basically, I spent a year... I, well, I spent a long time being depressed, but the second bout that actually led me to starting ketamine treatment was about a year and a half where I was somewhat suicidal. And mm. during that time period, I was doing coaching, I was doing therapy. I was like, I even tried one time to do a big boat dose of mushrooms that didn't really help me just because of my brain chemistry. Um, and I... It was about six months after I was in therapy and we were doing two to three times a week of like EMDR, IFS, like real deep work. And my oh. therapist said to me, she's like, Rob, I don't understand. Like we've been working together. We've been doing a lot of work. We've been clearing a lot of trauma and yet you don't feel any better. And I don't get it. And I had done, at that time, I'd done, I don't know, 20 different medications and I was sort of like, I don't understand, like the logic to me is like, why would I try one more when the first like astronomical number hadn't worked? And one of my friends, actually Ellis, who has been on the show a few weeks ago, he mm -hmm. recommended me, he's like, hey, there's a lot of good research out about ketamine. And he Googled it for me and he's like, hey, this clinic in Edmonton is doing it. Why don't you go check them out? I was like, all right, well, I don't have any other options at this point. So I'm going to do it. 
And so, yeah, I went in and I was really happy because actually the psychiatrist, the first thing he said to me, well, we did the intake and whatever. And he was like, we do a genetic test for medication here. And I was like, take my credit card, do it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like a week or two later, I started ketamine treatments. And then about a month later, I started with the medication that I'm on right now. And like literally it was, yeah, when I started that medication and after the like loading phase of ketamine, it was like, and everything clicked. And it was like everything we had done in therapy, like clicked and the medication clicked and the ketamine clicked. And then it was just like a rocket ship on growth and it hasn't stopped. That's fantastic. And that's such a beautiful opening even for this, this episode, because, you know, when we talk about leadership, we often don't recognize that a lot of leaders struggle with depression. They struggle with anxiety. They struggle with burnout. They struggle with all of these things. So, so much of the emphasis in normal leadership talk is growth, performance, you know, all this stuff. And yet what I've noticed is a lot of leaders, the, 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 the most prevalent work for them is shadow work, right? And it's really yeah. actually going into emotions that have been repressed, stories that have been forgotten, um, you know, things that have just been numbed out for a long time and really actually digging those up, allowing those to have a catharsis and to be integrated. And I think shadow work is so essential and key to becoming an integrated leader and leading from a place of vision, empathy, communication, all these sorts of things. I totally agree. And you're right. Like I was reading the Gallup State of the Workforce report for 2023 yesterday, and they reported that 44% of people experience more stress today or every subsequent day than they did the day before. And so like, and you cannot, I've tried it. You cannot do deep trauma work that actually changes and impacts you. If you're in that state of stress, it just, your body will shut down and will, your protectors will lock you out from that work. And so the first step is really ultimately finding that, you know, peace, and then you can really get after it. So, Paul, we, we yeah, went in deep physio, physio, Go ahead, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. We, we love that, we, right? Just open it up. We're go, go right yeah. for it. But before we get more deep, like, we heard a little bit about you. You know, you've gotten into psychedelics uh, since you were 19, and you're the founder of Third Wave. Like, tell us a little bit more about you, and what mission are you on today? So... When I was 16 years old, I was sat down by my parents on a Sunday after church, and they had recently found out that I had been smoking cannabis a few times. And I grew up in a pretty you know, traditional home, church every Sunday, uh, West Michigan, quite you know, conservative, Republican. And, and so my parents had been raised in sort of the, you know, era of the war on drugs and had really been conditioned to believe that illegal drugs, all illegal drugs were illegal because they were bad. And so they sat me down after, after church and my dad, who's like the, just such a like kind and sweet man looked at me and said, you know, I haven't been this disappointed 
since my brother passed away in a car accident 30 years prior, right? That's how impactful it was for them that I had smoked cannabis at the age of 16. And I, I tell that story because it communicates how so many of us have been conditioned through, I would say, propaganda in many ways to believe that cannabis is bad, to believe that psychedelics are bad. And so that sent me on this journey of really in like a, a process of inquiry, like, A, is cannabis actually as bad as we've been conditioned to believe? No. Right. And now we've seen how in the last 10 or 15 years that tide has has shifted significantly. And so as I continue to grow and, and mature, and I started to get into intentional psychedelic work at the age of 19 with psilocybin and LSD, I came to realize that also with these substances, things are not as we had been taught. And so those early psychedelic experiences were highly influential in me one, coming to terms with death through the ego dissolution of psychedelics, realizing that, like I mentioned before, life is very precious. It's a miracle. But then two, also realizing that I was fully responsible for everything that happened to me. And that if I really wanted to create and live a beautiful life, then I had to make that choice and be responsible for creating that. And so I chose then from a young age to not live in any sort of conventional manner. When I was 21, I moved to Turkey where I taught English for a year. Soon after that, I moved to Thailand, lived in Chiang Mai for about a year where I started my first online business. And then in 2015, I was living in Budapest and doing a high dose of LSD with a couple friends. And we were just talking about the state of psychedelics culturally. And at that point in time, microdosing was starting to come on the scene. You know, there were some well-known podcasters like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan who were starting to talk about psychedelics. More research was coming out. You know, a lot had shifted around cannabis. And so what I was foreseeing is that psychedelics would also really come to this point of being reevaluated by society. And that what was key to that was destigmatization through education. And that if we could really help people understand the science behind psychedelics, the, the benefits, and also the risks, then a lot more people would be empowered to actually work with these substances in an intentional way. And so I started Third Wave in 2015 as a platform to educate the mainstream about the usefulness of psychedelics as a tool, a tool for growth, a tool for development, a tool for healing, a tool for transformation. And so over the last eight years, has, as Third Wave has grown and, and really developed, you know, where we are now in 2023, as I'm sure you're well aware and, and, and some of your listeners may be well aware, it's a totally different landscape now. You know, there's billions of dollars coming in in investment capital. Uh, Oregon and Colorado have legalized psilocybin. Uh, the FDA is on the verge of approving MDMA for PTSD. And my personal mission continues to be. How do we ensure that there is a cultural container for responsible psychedelic use? You know, I'm a student of history. It's what I live and breathe. And what a lot of folks don't know is that we've been working with these substances for thousands and thousands of years, right? And that when they came back on the scene in the second wave of psychedelics and the counterculture, the reason it went so sideways is because um, a lot of the non-clinical use was highly irresponsible high doses of LSD done sort of willy-nilly and that led to this backlash. And so I thought, you know, if there's if there's 
you know, one thing that I could do, it would be communicating that psychedelics, if used responsibly, are incredible tools for healing and transformation, and that microdosing is the best way to start on that path, that you don't necessarily need to do nothing or, you know, five grams of mushrooms, that you can start at a low dose, that you can cultivate a relationship with the substance, and that you can start to actually learn how to work with it in an intentional way. And so that continues to be my mission, uh, just really helping to build a safe cultural container for intentional psychedelic use. So, Paul, I'd love for you to dig in a little bit on, like, what are the benefits of microdosing or because... I think a lot of our listeners, they may not be ready to jump in the deep end of the pool, but let's talk about the shallow end. <laughs> and I love that. I love that metaphor, right? Like when, we've, when we learn how to swim at a young age, most of us didn't just get thrown in the deep end because we would have drowned, right? Highly risky, highly dangerous. Usually we started in the shallow end. We had, you know, a teacher, we had a inner tube. We had maybe swimmies on. We learned how to navigate that before we went out into the deep end. And microdosing is very similar where we're starting to open that aperture of consciousness. So we start to explore, oh, there are other states that are possible and feasible. And microdosing and low dosing is a great way to do that. So a little bit of history and background on microdosing, and then I'll get into like some of the practicalities of it. So microdosing was first talked about in 2011 in a book called The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide by Dr. James Fadiman. Uh, and uh, there was a whole chapter dedicated to it about you know anecdotal stories of people who had utilized microdosing and it had helped with their depression, their anxiety, it had helped with creativity, with communication, with relationships. And up until that point in time, really the predominant way that people thought about psychedelics was take a very high dose, have a mystical experience, potentially have a bad trip, which can be very intimidating for those who are new to exploring the inner realms of consciousness. And so microdosing is really about a protocol. It's about, you know, how do I take a low dose of a psychedelic, about a tenth of a regular dose, two to three times a week for anywhere from 30 to 60 to 90 days. So as an example, when I first started working with microdosing in 2015, I did a microdose of LSD twice a week for six months. So a little bit longer than that 90 day, but I was also a guinea pig. I was experimenting and I had two core intentions for that microdosing protocol. My first intention was to help with social anxiety. Up until that point in time, I had often used alcohol as a way to connect with people, as a way to be less anxious socially. And when I started to dive into the research, I came to realize that LSD and psilocybin are way less toxic, way <laughs> less harmful than alcohol is, right? And so I was like, well, maybe I can still have a lot of the same extroversion because something that the LSD in particular helps with is extroversion. So maybe I can have some of that same extroversion, but not be hungover the next day and actually really take care of my, my physiological body. The second core intention that I had was to basically be able to access flow states in a much more on-demand way. You know, At that point in time, I was starting to build my first business, which was a teaching English platform 
I was doing a lot of writing, a lot of brainstorming. I was also working quite a bit just to get the things done that needed to get done. And what I found is that microdosing really helped me to be more productive. It helped me to be more in flow. It helped to reduce some of that creative resistance so I could just jump into a project and and really knock it out. And I think that's a core aspect to emphasize when it comes to microdosing is commit to the protocol have a core intention and combine microdosing with another modality. So when I was on this microdosing journey, what I found is that when I meditated uh, the mornings of my microdose, I was able to stay even more centered, more present, more aware. And that's really important to emphasize because uh, something that we've often been conditioned to believe in, in especially the United States and even in Europe is that we need a pill to fix something. So you take the Prozac, you take the Zoloft, you take the Xanax, you take the Adderall, and the taking the pill is going to fix the thing. And what is really important is that we don't look at microdosing as a magic pill. We look at it as a tool that can help to facilitate neuroplasticity. And then we utilize that window of neuroplasticity to actually weave in behavioral change that is going to help us to live a healthier life. So oftentimes when people microdose, they're like, oh, I'm making better decisions about the food that I eat. I'm exercising more often. I'm kinder to my spouse or my partner. Uh, it's easier for me to establish new habits like meditation that are supportive. And so that commitment, that willful participation to become a better individual, to become a healthier individual, uh, microdosing can really help to, to facilitate that. I love that. That's amazing. And, and it's definitely something like folks out there, there's Matt Zeman, um, friend of the show, also has a free microdosing guide on his website, Psychedelics for Everyone. And... Yeah, so there's a lot of research and free assets out there that you can get in and get some guidance on it. So definitely check those out. And I guess, Paul, now I want to get into the leadership side of it. Because the last time we spoke, you were telling me that you were giving a talk with some world leaders in the audience. And mm -hmm. of course, any huge change or systematic change that we want to see globally has to start with at least changes of some of the laws. So how do you go about like communicating to world leaders that this is a big change and we need to do it because it's going to be benefit everyone. And then even getting over those shadow sides of those leaders that like, Hey, I'm in control now. So I don't actually want to change because I'm the one who benefits. It's a great question. Number one is, you know, the first half of your question about how can we communicate about this? You know, what's been so beautiful over the last 5, 10, 15 years is the amount of research that's been published around psychedelics. And so the first thing that I always root in when talking to people who are quite new to psychedelics is just showing the research, right? Like clinical research shows that psilocybin is incredibly helpful for depression. Uh, clinical research shows that MDMA can be incredibly helpful for PTSD. Clinical research shows that psychedelics are actually anti-addictive, that they can help with addiction. 
and that they are the safest drug known to man. Psilocybin in particular is the safest drug, safer than alcohol, safer than tobacco, um, you know, safer than even <laughs> safer than caffeine, right? So all of these legal drugs that we think of as, oh, it's okay. These these drugs are okay because they're legal. Psilocybin is in fact healthier than than almost all of them. So that's the first thing I root in from an educational perspective. I think the second thing that's really important to emphasize is just pointing to anecdotal stories, particularly those who are in leadership positions who have worked with psychedelics and have found it to be tremendously beneficial. So one anecdote that's come on as of late over the last several months is Aaron Rodgers, the NFL, uh, you know, QB uh, quarterback, MVP of the league, Super Bowl champion, has talked about how ayahuasca has been incredibly helpful for him in terms of leadership and performance. I look at folks like, you know, there there are CEOs, even someone like Elon Musk has recently come out and said that he works with ketamine to help with some of the burnout and challenges that he faces in terms of his his, you know, everyday life. So pointing to those anecdotes of influential leaders who are at the top of their game, who are also working with psychedelics is very impactful. And I think, you know, to the to the second half of your question then, it's like how do you get how do you get people to change? How do you get systems to change that are dependent on keeping the status quo the same? And from my lens, this is why it's so important that we allow people to come into this under their own power and on their own time. You know, when I was early on in the psychedelic space, I was very evangelical about psychedelics because they had such an incredible impact on me. So I'm like, I want my dad to do it. I want my mom to do it. I want my family to do it. I want my community to do it. I'm like, you got to do this. And what I came to realize is it's actually much more effective to just embody the lessons that have been learned through psychedelics to show up differently. And then people just start to naturally ask, you know, what are you doing? What's changing with you? You know, like, What's been going on with you? And then after that invitation, really speaking to the power of psychedelics. Because what that allows for, it allows for people to feel like, I am fully committed to this. It is fully my choice and decision. And on an individual level, people will change when they're ready. I mean, it sounds like this was true of your story. You you hit rock bottom, right? There was really nothing else that was working for you. And so you, you know, I'm not sure how you found out about it, but you found out that ketamine could be useful. You went, you made that choice, and now your life's trajectory has changed um, in an incredible way. And so I think when we talk about world leaders, when we talk about politicians, when we talk about CEOs, you know, many of them are struggling. You know, they're really, really struggling. And so having that compassion, allowing people to come into this in their own way, and realizing that the medicine itself has an intelligence. Uh, that communicates certain things to people in leadership positions. And one of those core things that I've continued to come back to is the importance of what I call nature connectedness. You know, because right now, what's happening within a larger sort of bubble is the climate crisis, the meaning crisis, the mental health crisis, right? A lot of people are coming to recognize and realize that what has worked before is clearly not working now. And so there's a lot of folks who are in a process of an inquiry around what are the new systems that we need to create 
that will actually replace these old, outdated systems. So oftentimes, I come back to the the quote from Buckminster Fuller, which I'm paraphrasing, which is, don't fix a broken system, build a new system that makes the old one obsolete. And I think that's the opportunity with psychedelics and leadership, is how can leaders heal and transform through intentional psychedelic use, and then be inspired to create a new paradigm that recognizes the interconnectedness of all things and actually creates new educational frameworks, new political frameworks, new business frameworks that are rooted in that awareness. I love that. And yeah, you're totally right that people get or feel it when they need it, and that's when it comes. <laughs> right. Paul, like, I, I want to give you some space now. Like, part of your business is to train folks to become psychedelic coaches. And, I mean, this is a big thing, especially now where, like, it sounds like, it seems like everyone and their grandma are doing their own retreats. Like, how do we vet and make sure that we're connecting with someone like a retreat facilitator that's actually qualified and is on the up and up versus just somebody who decided I'm going to be a shaman today. Yeah. As the psychedelic space has grown in popularity, there's been a lot of incredible things that have come about as a result of that. And there's also been, you know, a lot of shadowy things. So I think one of the core concerns, if not the core concern and worry as psychedelics really become more mainstream is how do I vet the facilitator or the guide that I'm going to do this experience with? Because to really have a transformative psychedelic experience, the person who is going through it needs to feel incredibly safe. They need to feel like there's a high degree, high level of trust that's been established. They need to feel like they can totally surrender and let go. And if you're with a facilitator that you've just met, that you don't know a lot about, you don't know how trustworthy they are, you're not going to be able to surrender like you would you would hope. And so what I've noticed is the first recommendation that I always give is before you ever choose to work with a facilitator, set up a call with them, ask them about their experience, ask them about their background, how long have they been doing this, what is their training? And that training could be Western medical, you know, clinical therapist, medical doctor, psychiatrist. It could also be indigenous. They've been in a lineage, you know, for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. So really understanding their training. Do they offer preparation? Do they offer integration? Do they have any um, like references that you can check, right? People that they've worked with in the past. Usually what I tell folks is, the only facilitators or retreat centers that you should be working with are those that someone that you trust, a friend or a family member has already gone to and they've had a great experience, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, this is a bit of a chicken or the egg situation because a lot of people who are coming into this space, you know, they don't necessarily have any friends or family members who have done this before. And so the reason we started the Psychedelic Coaching Institute and the reason that we are doing a practitioner training program for those who are either established coaches already or looking to become a coach in this space is because through our platform at Third Wave, we wanted to ensure that if we make recommendations or referrals, we are really uh, recommending someone that we know, that we trust, and that we um, know comes from a great place and is super effective. So even on Third Wave's platform, 
We have a directory of retreats, clinics, therapists, and coaches where we vet everyone who comes into the platform. We ask for references. We make sure they're a reputable person. And we believe that that directory is really necessary and and helpful. And what we've also come to realize is, and I think this is especially relevant for, for this audience, not everyone who is working with psychedelics has a clinical diagnosis, right? Not everyone necessarily you know, has PTSD or treatment-resistant depression or you know, high levels of anxiety. A lot of people are just really looking to grow, evolve, and transform. And so what I noticed um, you know, a couple of years ago before we started the Institute was that a lot of the training programs are focused on clinical, medical, therapeutic approach. And so our program really focuses on training practitioners in mastering the skill of psychedelics for leadership, performance, and well-being. So a lot of the coaches who enroll in our program, they're executive coaches, uh, they're health and wellness coaches, they're life and relationship coaches. We have some clinicians as well. And we train them in what I call the broadest landscape possible. Right? How do you think about psychedelics? How do you think about what I call the five key elements, assessment, preparation, facilitation, integration, and microdosing? Uh, what are the different medicines that are useful? Ketamine versus MDMA versus psilocybin versus something like ayahuasca or 5-MeO. And then based on where the client's at, what's the appropriate dose level? You know, Microdosing might be most appropriate. Even starting with something like breathwork or a float tank might be most appropriate. You know, for some folks, if they have some experience with psychedelics, it could be ayahuasca or 5-MeO-DMT. So really training coaches and practitioners so that when they're in a client engagement, they know with precision, okay, based on where my client's at, I know this is the ideal path to facilitate for them. And again, paying attention to those five key elements, assessment, preparation, facilitation, integration, and microdosing. And so just to put a bow on this, for any listeners who are like interested in doing this work, we actually have a one-to-one coaching program that we've recently rolled out where we pair you with a coach and a practitioner who guides you through a three-month process of those five elements, assessment, prep, facilitation, integration, and microdosing, because we believe having all of that is key to a safe and effective psychedelic experience. Totally. Yeah. Those are, I mean, those are some great five steps, I think. (laughs) Um, Paul, you, you mentioned it and you mentioned it and I really want to dig deeper because you're right. Like most of our audiences are executives or middle managers and they're looking to take their game to the next level or their leadership and impact to the next level. How can psychedelics help them? So there's a phenomenal book that for any executives who are listening to this or even middle managers, people who are working in business, who are in leadership positions called Mastering Leadership. And that book is about what does it take to become an integral leader? And the framework that they communicate in that book is something called the reactive to creative to integral framework. And so they use something called the leadership circle profile. It's a 360 assessment. And what it assesses is how can I as a leader, because about 60% of leaders are actually in a reactive mode. 
And leadership is incredibly ineffective if you're always reacting to things. You have to be in that creator mindset. You have to be intentional and you have to shape reality in terms of how you want it to be shaped. And so what I've noticed again and again and again is, as I mentioned in my own uh, story, psychedelics really help us to take full ownership and responsibility of who we are as a creator. I think one of the fundamental truths of reality is that we are here to create, right? And so what I've learned from psychedelics is they really help us to help to put us in that driver's seat of, okay, I'm here. I'm here to create. What is it that I want to create? How is it that I can communicate what I want to create to my team, to my company, to my organization, to facilitate buy-in from everyone? And so what they noticed in that research is that there were two key things that effective leaders did that was better than than ineffective leaders. One is vision, communicating a very clear vision that is inspiring, that's motivating, that gets people behind you. And two is teamwork. You know, communicating that vision to your team and then being able to support that team to really take that vision to the next level. And so when we look at how psychedelics map onto that, a lot of times when people have, especially a high dose psychedelic experience, it's one of the first opportunities that they've had to actually turn off the monkey mind, to step out of that sympathetic state, and to really zoom out and go, okay, what's really going on in my life right now? Who is it that I really want to become? What is it that I really want to create? And that vision that comes from those high-dose psychedelic experiences can often be incredibly motivating for those that we work with. So that's one way that psychedelics help with leadership, is helping someone to really step into their visionary capacity. And then the second thing, teamwork. You know, I'm sure you've experienced this. I've experienced this tremendously. My intentional work with psychedelics has made me a much better listener. It's helped me to be more compassionate. It's helped me to be more empathetic. It's helped me to turn off some of those stronger egoic tendencies of it's just about me and really remember that it's about we. And so what psychedelics help to facilitate is moving from that me to we mindset by recognizing the importance of listening, uh, compassion, communication. You know, there's this, there's this trope, which is, you know, we have two ears and one mouth. And I think a lot of a lot of leaders feel like it's 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 you know they feel obligated to have to talk a lot to speak a lot you know to to be prescriptive to be bossy and what I've learned in my own leadership growth and development that psychedelics have helped with is the more that I listen the better leader I become and psychedelics I think really help with that process of presence listening awareness which is essential to um to really good leadership. Totally. Yeah. I couldn't echo it more. I was actually saying it to a friend of mine this morning was that psychedelics have allowed my brain or me to finally turn off the obsessive thoughts. And many folks out there like you either thinking about what do you got to do next or you're worried about paying your bills or you're worried about taking your kids to soccer practice or, you know, you got to clean the house or you got to get groceries, you know, like there's so many things that you worry about. And then as you progress and your brain 
opens up and you take on and like here's the key part right is the integration of the plasticity and these new behaviors and new beliefs is finally your brain connects to self more often and that's when you can just be yeah turning off that that rumination right like quieting down finding stillness and we're way more effective as leaders when we when we come from a parasympathetic state when we come from a place of centeredness of listening that presence right i always say presence is the greatest gift that you can give uh, and psychedelics help to teach teach presence because when you're in that state you have to go inwards right you have to listen and in that process, you learn what it means to really listen deeply to yourself first, right? So many of us as leaders, we're always our energy is always going outwards, right? We don't spend enough time really nourishing ourselves by going inwards. And psychedelics really help us to remember the importance of that of that inward process. I love it. Now we got to ask the question we always ask: Is what do you want your legacy as a leader to be? So when I was first starting this work, personal work, when I was 19 with, with LSD, a lot of my early journeys were in West Michigan, uh, on the beach, uh, by the lake, and in these beautiful wooded dune settings, like incredibly beautiful um, like nature environment. And what kept coming up for me in those early psychedelic experiences was a deep sense of reverence, love, and respect for the natural environment. And also a recognition that we are, as a species, really harming ourselves by not taking care of the environment. Because of course, one of the, the fundamental learnings from psychedelics is that everything is connected, uh, interconnectedness, interbeing, right? And so as that recognition really started to integrate, and as I was starting to really look at what is what do I want my mission in life to be, right? When I was 24, 25, one of the core reasons that I started Third Wave was because I figured if there was one tool that could be leveraged that would have the biggest impact on helping us to recognize the importance of the environment, the importance of taking care of the environment, of listening to nature it would be psychedelics. And we see this time and time again. You've probably had this experience. You know, I've had this experience so often when we work with psychedelics, there's a way in which we just love the natural environment. Like I love to do psychedelics in the jungle, in the woods, by water, because it really helps me to connect at a deeper level. And so if I could point to, or if I could articulate my legacy in a very clear and distinct way, it's culturally integrating psychedelics to help humanity wake up in an accelerated fashion in order to address what I consider to be the biggest crisis of our time, which is this crisis of disconnection from the natural environment. And that by healing that connection to our natural environment, we not only heal ourselves, but we also heal we also help to heal nature because we recognize how important it is that we take care of it. And, and of course, the challenge with psychedelics is, you know, they're they're very intense. 
the the energy that moves through can be sometimes overwhelming. And so this isn't just about, yeah, I'm going to go take, you know, a bunch of mushrooms and go wander in the woods for <laughs> for hours. This is about intentional responsible use of these psychedelic uh, substances to help us wake up to that truth of interconnectedness. So we as a species are motivated to actually shift and create this new paradigm that is rooted in harmony with the natural environment. And so kind of beyond that, the reason I've chosen to focus on leadership is because in organizations, in businesses, you know, everything starts with the leader in many ways. And so when the CEO shifts, when the executive team shifts, when the management team shifts, then what they communicate, how they communicate, the incentives that they are motivated by, what they're choosing to develop a mission around for an organization will also shift and be more in alignment with some of those fundamental truths of interconnectedness. So shifting the the hearts and minds of leaders with psychedelics to help us as a species wake up to um, healing our relationship with the the natural environment, and and that's why you're the perfect guest for this show because we're super aligned there, Paul. Yeah. It was amazing to have you, and for folks out there, if you want to find and connect with Paul, um, well, we dropped his LinkedIn in the podcast notes. You can also check out his website, paulaustin.co as well as if you want to check out Third Wave, it's thethirdwave.co. Third is spelt with the words, not with a three. Um, Paul, is there anywhere else you want folks to find you or follow you? If, you know, we also have a podcast called The Psychedelic Podcast. So if folks do want to take a deeper dive into this work, you, you know, we've published over 200 episodes. And then if there's anyone who is, you know, an executive coach or who wants to get into this work, we have a 10-month practitioner training program uh, that enrolls a lot of executive coaches to train them in, in the skill of psychedelics. And that practitioner training program, we can also link to in the, in the show notes for your audience. Absolutely. Paul, it's, uh, it's been amazing to have you on the show. And I, I really love your legacy statement. Um, here on the show, we say that we're striving to change the game of leadership and business forever through this human-centric, heart-centric leadership. And so it's totally amazing to have you on and have someone on a similar mission. Um, everyone out there, if you haven't yet, please hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and share this episode with any leaders in your life and as well for anything leadership coaching, one-on-one -on -one mindset coaching, DEI, conflict management, EI, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for all of that. And where I want to leave our folks with, I got another quote here from Eckhart Tolle, and he says, whatever you fight, you strengthen, and what you resist persists. Paul, it was amazing to have you on the show and I'm looking forward to next time. Thank you, Rob. This was, this was a ton of fun and I love that quote. It reminds me of Wu Wei, the art of not doing. 
right? <laughs> How can we just be like water and let things flow? So this is fun. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And everyone listening, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all next week.